This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Just over a minute left in the second period. Canada and the United States tied at two, playing for gold at Worlds in Calgary, Canada, with a very strong second period. They fell behind 2 0 after one, pretty much have dominated the second frame. Shots are now 22-15 in favor of Canada and uh, likely to be tied going to the third. We'll keep you updated on that one. In the first period, Alex Carpenter got both goals for the States. Brianne Jenner and Jamie Lee Rattray have scored in the second period for the Canadians. Orioles now lead the Blue Jays 3-2 in the bottom of the sixth. The Edmonton Elks will get back at it tomorrow after their COVID delay that uh, cost them the game last week. I'm, I'm hearing by the end of the week a good chance that we'll know the uh, rescheduled date for the matchup against the Toronto Argos. The Elks did uh, announce today no positive COVID tests for the fifth consecutive day, but offensive lineman Jacob Ruby has been released for violating COVID protocols. Dave Naylor from TSN uh, reporting, and as I mentioned earlier, I also heard this from a source here in Edmonton that uh, Jacob Ruby uh, misrepresented to the team that he was vaccinated, and when the club asked for proof recently, he was unable to provide it. So that is the storyline there as we welcome a former offensive lineman for the double lead of the show, Blake Dermott, checking in as we may have a goal for the United States right at the buzzer. I'm not sure if this is going to count. I don't think it is. Uh, Blake, uh, thanks for hopping on tonight. Man, oh man, uh, what a last uh, 10 days or so for the Elks. And now this Ruby release and uh, the story that he apparently was uh, telling the team he was vaccinated uh, when he was not and let go as a result. Yeah, well, I I, uh, I just sort of heard that later on this afternoon that that might have been the case, but uh, I uh, I uh, uh, wasn't aware of the details, and of course the club's not going to release the detail, details. They're just saying that it was a violation of COVID, but uh, I'm sure the story is going to come out at some point, and uh, we'll see. And I I, I I guess I don't understand why um, you would misrepresent yourself like that if that was in fact the case. Uh, I mean, there's other players on the team that weren't. Uh, vaccinated and uh, the players association you know uh, uh, they they stand behind the players with respect to the choice for vaccination but the uh, uh, I guess you would have to go through protocol if you uh, if you're not unvaccinated you have to get tested regularly and by saying you're not vaccinated you don't want to get tested so if that's the case they don't need a guy like that in the locker room no teams need needs a guy like that in the locker room if, if that's in fact the case what what did you think of, uh, you know, Chris Preston came on my show on Friday. He spoke again yesterday when they made the announcement about the uh, vaccine policy for for Commonwealth, which is going to start in October, the two September home games. There will be no vaccine uh, vaccination policy for fans. You know, Preston said, hey, you know, the, the wives of a couple players had to go out in the community and uh, and brought COVID home. I know I know some people didn't like that wording. He, they, they felt that he was blaming the wives. I don't know if he was. I think he was just trying to offer an explanation, explanation because, you know, I, I've asked him for an explanation a couple of times. And he said another player went to a massage therapist, which he said, you know, unknowingly uh, broke the protocols. 
Um, I mean, this is interesting for you because you you played in the league. You know about rules. You, you didn't necessarily have a COVID situation, but uh, there are rules that players have to follow and things they have to be careful with, whether they like it or not. H- how do you sort of look at the the explanation for how this outbreak got into the room? Well, I don't know. I don't know if there's a uh, because this is this is really uncharted territory right now uh, in the world. I, I don't, I'm not sure there is a. Uh, uh, a black and white answer f- for something like this. There's just way too much gray. Uh, you know, I, I, my feeling is though, is that one of the one of the problems with with a uh, with a team sport and being in a bubble. Uh, although they weren't in a bubble, but if you are committed to following the protocols, that means everybody in your life must be committed to following the same protocols that impact you. So, if if in fact there was family members that brought. Uh, uh, COVID uh, or uh, were infected and it uh, allowed team members to be infected. That's, is that a violation of protocol? Because they all, like I said, if you, if you're, if you're in this, in a team, then, then everybody that's involved in that organization, whether it be family or a, and anything else outside of it, they all have to follow the same protocol. So um, I don't know. I, I don't know how I, how I would deal or answer, answer that. Uh, I, I'm just stating an obvious fact that that's possibly what happened. But the thing for me, bigger than that, is the the number of players that uh, and and I, the, the club isn't releasing that number out of privacy. But the, it's been widely speculated that the the Elks had one of the highest levels of of uh, unvaccinated players in the league. And uh, you know, and I and I just I really struggle with that. You know, they, they always say that football is such a a team game and a team sport, and uh, and then you've got guys that are not respecting the other members of the team by getting vaccinated. And, uh, and I, and I really struggle with that. Um, I would have had a real problem had I been playing now in that locker room. And I, and I'm guessing that when they come back into the uh, locker room on Wednesday, there's going to be, there's going to be some issues. There's going to be some things. Um, maybe people won't say anything, but uh, there's going to be some things that are said uh, in in the background. Well, and I wonder about that too. And Eddie Steele and I talked about that last week. He said, hey, look, I still talked to some current guys on the team and, and he's heard some things that he doesn't like about sort of, you know, team unity and uncomfortable feelings. Is that is that a big concern to you? And, and if there are those feelings, do guy, like, does it need to be talked about? Is it is it better if it's not talked about? Do you, like, should they get it out of their system? Like, what's the best thing to happen when there might be tension? Well, I think when, whenever there's tension in any in any relationship or anything, you you got to talk about it. It's got to you can't leave the elephant in the room. You got you got to get you got to address this thing, and you got to come up with solutions that that people can live with. And uh, and by by not talking about it, you just leave all kinds of speculation and and uh, and you know backstabbing or whatever could happen. So they've got to get in front of this thing. What concerns me the most is uh, as we move along into uh, you know October. Uh, Commissioner Ambrosi said that that uh, the Canadian government's going to going to uh, probably ma- mandate that uh, you have to have, be double vaccinated to fly. Um, how is that going to um, How is that going to impact players that continue to le- continue to f- uh, refuse to get vaccinated as we get into October, November, where there's still you know two months left of football, and uh, and you can't get on a plane um, to go be with your teammates, and the only way you can get there is to drive. Well, if you're playing in Toronto or Montreal or something like that, and you're coming from the West, that's that's two to three days to get there. That's loss of practice time. That's all kinds of things. How are they going to address those kinds of issues, especially if 
your uh, you know one of those key players is your your uh, franchise quarterback. Yeah, that's a good point. There's still a lot to consider here. Um, you know, you know. Again, Chris Preston said on Friday that eighty-three and a half percent of the Elks had at least one vaccination needle. The double vax rate was just below that at at eighty percent. And Preston said, you know, that's more than the Canadian and the provincial average. So he he his position was that we have held ourselves to a higher standard and met that standard. Uh, I, I think I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I feel like I'm hearing from you it's a team environment and sometimes you got to suck it up and do something for your teammates. And I I just had Ian Herbers on the show from the U of A Golden Bears hockey team. They don't have as many players, probably about half as many people around as, as the Elks would have, but he said all coaches, players and staff members are fully vaccinated for the Canada West hockey season ahead. Well, yeah, well, look, you, you can't use the number of the provincial average because because this is a specialized, this is something completely different to that. This is an average players, average people making average salaries. These are high-profile athletes that are, are uh, uh, of a specific skill set. And there should be nothing but 100% of a team. Like, I, I could even see, and I don't know if this is going to happen. I mean, Chris, Chris Preston is, is, uh, and, and Brock Sunderland are, are, are going to be running this franchise the way they want to, but... I mean, I when I first heard this, I was I was quite angry about it. I was almost to the point where you know, I would be saying, well, if you're not vaccinated, then you're not playing for us because I got to have somebody here that I can count on, and uh, and releasing uh, unvaccinated players and bringing in players that are vaccinated, and getting them here for two or three weeks to bring them up to speed. Um, I could see something like that happening as you get into October when you've got guys that can't play because they're not vaccinated. They're going to see, you know, and, and here's the thing. This isn't about, you know, you making a choice because you still ha- have the ability to make a choice. You can choose to be unvaccinated. You can choose to be vaccinated. If you choose to be unvaccinated, then you choose to go work someplace else but not play football. It's your choice. So, so I, I, I honestly believe that, that um, when you look at these guys and, and they're, they're, uh, they're, they're sort of flaunting their choices right now, and, and at some point that choice is going to be gone. There is going to be no choice. You you either you, you you either take the vaccination or you don't play, and uh, and 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 I think that's that's it's too bad if it gets to that for some of these players, but again it becomes their choice. Yeah, it's uh, man. I, I wish I wish we were talking about this, but but we are, and and you hope that there are no other teams that that are affected because I also look at big picture with this. Blake, I mentioned I had Chris Preston on on Friday, and he said he was very optimistic that that the game would be rescheduled against Toronto. And and I said, does this mean that other teams are going to move their schedules around to accommodate? And he just kind of said, well, that'd be smart speculation, but we'll leave it there. I I was told uh, by another source earlier this week that hopefully by the end of the week we have a date for that game. The thing is, though, the, the way I look at it, I mean, this, this this ain't a long. This is not an indefinite season, Blake. Where like the NHL could just push things back when they needed to. The Grey Cup's on a certain day, so if this does get into another locker room, um, there's only so many weeks and bye weeks and spots in the schedule where teams, whether it's the Elks or not, could accommodate rescheduled games. Right, and and I, I agree with you completely. I I, uh, I but I, I I hope that because of this thing happening as early in the season as it did that this is, um, you know, uh, the talk within other locker rooms is, boy, we don't want this to happen. Um, so maybe this has been a, 
uh, a lightning rod for the rest of the CFL for for players that are unvaccinated, for players that may be skirting the uh, COVID protocol. You know, they this is this is something that that, um, that players and the organizations will look at as saying we cannot let this happen. And uh, sometimes a negative thing has to happen for the positives to to take over. And and I you know so so really um, if there's uh, I don't even know how many other COVID uh, cases there's been in the league so far this year. I think I heard of one other one where somebody uh, was uh, had failed the protocol. So you know with the Elks sitting at uh, what is it now 16 um, that that the, uh, and and only one other one in the league, then that means that uh, maybe the other guys are taking it a lot more seriously than the Elks did. And uh, and that'll be good. But yeah, no, you're right. Uh, like, how do you fit in? If there's one other in- instance like this, how do you fit in the game? I mean, right now they can probably fit in the game because I said it, it did happen earlier. And there's another bye week, and most teams have their bye weeks. They can they can probably work that around. But uh, but uh, when you start uh, doing multiple uh, instances like this, it's going to be really difficult. Somebody's going to take a, a loss, a zero, and people aren't going to get paid. Yeah, and I should just update a couple of stories from the NFL as well. Uh, the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars, Urban Meyer, said he and general manager Trent Balky took players' vaccination statuses into consideration during final roster cuts. So that's going to, you know, probably anger the PA. And, uh, you know, Cam Newton was uh, cut by the New England Patriots, the team um, you uh, cheer for. And there were some uh, concerns about Newton's attitude toward uh, toward COVID as well. So this is going to be an ongoing story. And again, you wonder how uh, the players association might react to some of this too all right football uh they they will practice tomorrow. first of all that like that's covid stuff aside unease in the dressing room aside it must it, it, do you think it's going to feel a little weird like they got in shape they did training camp they played some games and now they've not been able to to, to do much again is that going to be weird getting back at it tomorrow well i i think it is um i mean it, they, they can almost treat it like a bye week but uh but yeah, no. This is uh, typically when you got a bye week, you're planning for a bye week. When this thing happened, it was an unplanned vacation, and uh, um, I, and, I, and I think all of the stuff that goes around it, you know, with this, there's still the uncertainty with respect to whether or not the game is going to be uh, uh, rescheduled. And if it's not going to be rescheduled, then nobody gets paid. And so there's a lot of things. That's why I'm saying that when they get back into the locker room, I can see that there there could be some tension within that locker room, and the club's going to have to do a great job of trying to trying to ease that. But uh, if everything moves along now, now we got two games against Calgary back to back, and two teams playing each other have one win each, and this is an opportunity for one team to potentially get back in the race, or uh, another team to be like right out of the race. Well, the, I was saying that last night. I, I mean, if you're one team, the Elks could be one and three, Calgary could be one and four, and BC already has two wins. We don't know if there's going to be a crossover with the East. I, I mean, three teams are one and two there. So if, if you're if you're last, basically a third of the way into the season, then then you got some serious catching up to do. Um, Blake, it, it's great to have you on the show. I, I really appreciate your opinion and, and your passion on this. I I, I I love your insight and how you put things from your perspective as an an ex player about being in that team environment. But I do look forward to hearing uh, hopefully all football talk with you and Morley and Dave and Eddie. You're back at it on Monday, man. I, I do too. I'm, I'm really looking forward to the game on Monday. I mean, it's about um, it's uh, it's been an extra week that uh, I didn't anticipate not watching the Elks play, and I'm looking forward to it. And I and I hope they can they can come out and and sort of take off take off from where they left off and uh, and come up with a really good game. All right. See you soon, Blake. Okay. Thanks. Thanks a lot, Reed.
That is Blake Derbitt, our longtime Elks analyst here on 630. I, I love the way he put that where he, he said, okay, uh, Chris Preston, the president of the Elks, said our, our vaccination status, our percentage is higher than the general population in both Alberta and Canada when you look at the percentage. Uh, but Blake said this is, a, this is a specialized job and a specialized group of people. And for that reason, Blake said, you know, they should be shooting for 100%. Okay, it is 721. It's second intermission, Canada and the United Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. States. They are indeed tied at two going for gold. We'll keep you updated. It's Inside Sports on 630 Chet. period just underway and the united states is on a power play 2-2 tie canada and the u.s going for gold overtime at women's worlds it's happened a lot in 1997 canada beat the states 4-3 in kitchener in 2000 in mississauga canada beat the united states 3-2 in overtime they went to a shootout in sweden in 2005 u.s won it one nothing in switzerland in 2011 United States beat Canada 3-2 in overtime. Then in the, uh, the the U.S. was hosting in 2012. Canada won 5-4 in overtime. 2016 in Kamloops, the United States beat Canada 1-0 in overtime. Then the uh, next year, the U.S. as the host team in uh, Plymouth, Michigan, U.S. won 3-2 in overtime. So seven times previously, Canada and U.S. have gone to overtime, and in a couple of cases, a shootout to decide the gold medal. And also in 2019, Canada did not make the final, but the United States needed a shootout to beat uh, Finland 2-1. So eight times previously, the uh, Women's World Hockey Championship out of the uh, 19 tournaments, eight of the previous 19 gold medal games have gone to overtime. And maybe tonight as well in Calgary. We'll see. United States currently on a power play. Good chat with Blake Dermott, Elks and Stamps, Labor Day, Monday, 12.30. Countdown to kickoff here on 6.30, Chad. The game will start at 2.30. We'll catch up with a really interesting fellow who I, I believe, I'll have to get him to tell the story. I believe when he was going to university, he had to cover himself. He was a member of the media and a player. Marshall Ferguson, when we get back. All 
Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. United States uh, did not score on the power play they had before we went to break. Well, they're now on another power play with 14-14 to go into third. 2-2 tie. Canada and the U.S. going for gold in Calgary at the Women's Worlds. Also, Blue Jays top of the eighth trailing the Orioles 4-2 in Toronto, the Elks uh, releasing Jacob Ruby today for violation of COVID protocols. TSN's Dave Naylor reporting that uh, Ruby had been misleading about his vaccination status. Elks get back to work tomorrow. The game is on Monday, taking on the Calgary Stampeders. Appreciate you tuning in tonight. Our hotline is powered by CertainTeed, professional-grade building materials. We will go there now to talk to a very interesting voice in Canadian football. He's with the CFL.ca. He's the uh, creator and host of the Canadian Football Perspective podcast. He played university football. You uh, heard him calling a game on TSN on the weekend, a very interesting young man, Marshall Ferguson, checks in. Marshall, welcome back to Inside Sports. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, It's been too long. It's been too long since we've had CFL football to t- talk about. And I know that things have been a little touch and go where you are there, Reed, but it's uh, it's great to have the league back. And I can't believe how fast and furious one week turns into another week when you actually have a regular season schedule that's being played in front of I've, I had forgotten how quickly one becomes two, becomes three, becomes four, but I'm thankful for it. Yeah, well, we're clipping along. And I got to say, I was happy to hear you calling a game on the weekend because I, I put the TV on and I was like, wait a minute, that's not that's not <laughs> one of the quote-unquote regulars, but I feel like I should know that voice. And then I was like, ah, cool. And, and look, I know doing play-by-play is, is uh, nothing uh, new for you, but cool for you to be doing a national game, man. That was awesome. Yeah, I've, I thoroughly enjoyed the experience. I've never been more thankful for an opportunity in my entire life, you know, not to to go long on kind of where I've been for the last X amount of months. But when COVID hits, you know, we, we like so many people, we're doing sports radio at a time where there's not sports and we're just making it up as we go and kind of battling our way through that daily and doing shows remotely and not seeing each other. There was so much adjustment period. And that really changed my perspective on how lucky we were to just have things be again, quote unquote, normal, where you're sitting in a studio, having a conversation with people welcoming guests into your studio. And and then I ended up, this this radio station that I was at, TSN 1150 in Hamilton, it gets cut, right? Bell Media says, ah, you know what? We we don't have the money for this in Hamilton, Vancouver, Winnipeg. Reed, I ended up being a UPS delivery driver. I was unloading planes at the Hamilton airport at 3 a.m. to get through. Like, I, I got a 10-month-old son. I was doing all this stuff. And then I got a call from TSN being like, hey, would you be interested in, a, in basically a tryout to call a couple of games in 2021 and see where it goes? I'm like, uh, yeah, that's better than waking up at 2.30 to go and unload a plane. So, yes, I would absolutely love to do that. So uh, I will say this. I've never been more physically fit than when I was carrying boxes and unloading planes in the middle of the night. But I think my my mental health is in a much better place doing the thing that I love, which is being at a football field. So it was an amazing experience, and the entire crew – uh, was way too welcoming to me. No, nobody even knew who the hell I was, and they welcomed me in with open arms, and, and we had a lot of laughs and a lot of fun. And some at my expense, which I deserved, and others, we were just kind of communally laughing together about how ridiculous some of the situations were that we were in there in Ottawa. But it was amazing to be a part of the team. Well, good for you. And I, I actually did, I didn't know you were going to tell me that. And I didn't know you were doing that, that you were getting up at three in the morning to uh, unload planes or 2 30, I guess. But I mean, I think you're being a little modest about your physical condition because you did play U sports football and it wasn't that that long ago, but weren't you, I I read this about you and this is interesting. Were were you not doing play by play for other teams at McMaster while you were playing for the McMaster football team? Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was, um, it, that was such an awesome experience, honestly. So my, my kind of beginnings in broadcasting, Lindsay Hamilton, that everybody will probably know from Sports Center fame these days, she was at McMaster and she was playing women's lacrosse. And I remember she reached out to me because she was hosting a show called Max Marauders. I went to McMaster and she was hosting this show that was just general sports talk with university athletes. And she reached out because I was the starting quarterback in 2013 and said, hey, can I have you on my show? And at that point, I was obsessed because... Tim McAuliffe is a good friend of mine. I was obsessed with watching Tim and Sid in the afternoons to the point where if I had a class in university and I don't tell Steph Patatsik, my head coach of Mac, this, if I had a class between one and 4 PM during a weekday, it probably wasn't paying a whole lot of attention because I was actually studying the art of radio on television, which was Tim and Sid. So uh, I ended up basically when Lindsay reached out saying, Hey, do you want to be on my show? I said, can I just co-host your show? She's like, sorry. <laughs> and uh, I ended up getting my, my toes kind of dipped into broadcasting my first exposure at the student radio station because Lindsay welcomed me in and gave me an opportunity. I ended up becoming the sports director of the student radio station at McMaster. And then I was still playing football, but I was hosting the show talking about university sports that I took over from Lindsay when she left to go work for Disney and MLSC. She was hosting the Toronto Marlies in-game events and all these things. And so I, I took that job and it basically resulted in on Saturday afternoons, you know, I'm throwing two touchdowns and an interception and completing 65% of my passes against Carlton on the road, come back on Sunday, script a show Monday morning at 9 a.m. Well, over the weekend, it was the McMaster Marauders with me at starting quarterback who, <laughs> uh, when I, so I was doing a show on university sports as I was the university sports. And I was also doing play-by-play -play for the men's and women's basketball teams. And uh, I, I love that I did this in the moment. I didn't know how cool and unique this was going to be, but looking back on it now, I'm so glad that I did it. We won the Yates cup, the OUA championship in 2013 and it was over Guelph and it was at home and I was the sports director and we didn't have anybody to cover the McMaster wins and women's basketball games that day. So the game starts at one o'clock. We win. It's over by four o'clock. We celebrate in the locker room, have a couple of beers. Everybody gets together with their families on the field. We do the pro trophy presentation. I had to be down at the Burge gymnasium at McMaster for 6 PM. So uh, basically, I finished the one beer I was able to enjoy with the team, <laughs> grabbed my game notes, ran down the hallway because at McMaster, the football field is about 150 meters from the basketball court. And I ran down there and I started doing the broadcast. And I, listen, it wasn't my best broadcast. My mind was other places. I had to get ready for a UTech Bowl the next week. We were hosting Mount Allison. I wanted to go to the Vanier Cup, on and on and on. But yeah, it was it was kind of one of those things where I was uh, I was mixing my love for broadcasting that I was discovering with my love for football at the same time. and. Uh, I don't know how I did it, but it was a lot of fun. That's amazing. So, I mean, that's a unique position where you're sort of covering yourself. But you can <laughs> yeah. kind of be like, oh, no, the QB play was fine. What are you talking about? <laughs> well, the thing about me is I'm I'm pretty self-effacing, and I've always been kind of tough on myself. So, you know, I when I, yeah, you complete 25 of 30 passes, it's the five that really bother you that you didn't complete. And we actually had a game – in 2014, when I was doing that radio show where I threw, I want to say three or four interceptions. I'd have to look up the box score, but it was Carl. Actually, it was 2013. It was Carlton's first year back in the OUA in 2013. And they were 0-7. And, and I was, I want to say, two touchdown passes away from the all-time OUA touchdown record in a single season. Because we were, we were throwing the ball relentlessly that right. season. I don't know why we were doing that, but my arm, my arm almost fell off that year. So we ended up 
getting me that close to the record. And I'm going into this game in Carlton. I'm like, guys, you know, I'm, I'm not saying this out loud, but in my mind, I'm like, they're 0-7. I'm two touchdown passes away from the record. I go into that game. I throw three or four interceptions. We won, but I played just awful. And then on Monday, I was... I actually did the full report because I was so angry at myself. I'm like, well, Ferguson went into the game, two touchdown passes back of the all-time OUA record. Not only would he not get the touchdown record, he'd actually set a career high in a single game for interceptions with four. So I was doing the full just breakdown of this guy's trash. We need to have a conversation about who his backup is. And part of it was a bit that I thought people would enjoy and think was funny. I mean, as if anybody was listening, it's student university radio. I don't think I had any ratings whatsoever, but the idea of, you know, honing your craft and doing it in the shadows and having some fun with your own performance and, and having those multiple roles. Um, at the same time as I was doing that, actually, I was a, a bartender at Boston Pizza on Main Street West in Hamilton. And so I was going from, you know, practicing uh, and then a couple of nights a week, I'd go over and I'd be a bartender and then I'd come back and I'd do the radio show and then I'd go to class and then I'd go do football and then I'd be a bartender and then I'd do the radio show. And so people got to know me basically in the community as the guy that, you know, they would cheer for on Saturday afternoons. I'd serve them a pint on, on Sunday nights and then they'd listen to me on radio on Monday morning. So That's I've lived awesome. a very strange, weird, uh, <laughs> weird life, Reed. I'm not sure if you're picking up on that, but it's been a fun adventure so far. Well, you enjoy being busy and you enjoy being successful. So that's good. Uh, Marshall Ferguson joining us tonight on Inside Sports. Well, yeah, thanks for sharing that because that's a really cool, like that's a very, one of those like cool university experiences, right? Yeah. That you could always say, well, hey, you know, I, I embrace the opportunities for sure. I want to ask I have you, a uh, weird feeling. I'll say this. I have a weird feeling that Tua Tungavailoa and, and Trevor Lawrence weren't serving pints to get through university and doing right. a radio show talking about themselves. Like anytime I talk to people about that, it just makes me, it's the perfect crystallization of, hey, you sports, not anything like the NCAA. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. I, I got to ask you about this. Uh, I mean, the game you called, uh, what wound up 24-12, mm -hmm. um, you know, teams haven't been getting to 30. You know, most games, uh, teams aren't even getting to 24, and in some cases, not even to 20. I, I hear some fans saying that they, they'd like some more points and maybe a little more action, though there have been some exciting finishes, even with low scores. Uh, what What's your your take on this? Is Is there a trend that has been going on for several years that have led to lower scoring games. Is it because we're, these offenses are still coming out of a, a lost year because of the pandemic? What are you seeing? Yeah. So I actually, I, I decided to dive into this on CFL.ca last week. And what I found was uh, that, and I, I have this belief that, you know, it's the old quote of fortune favors the brave, right? Is people that take opportunities are usually the ones who get rewarded for it. And that's not always true. In the CFL, we are living currently in an era of Ricky Ray has changed the way that I think we look at football in this country. If you can throw flat route, flat route, curl route, 10-yard in-breaking route, running back screen, flat route, flat route. I mean, it's it's such high percentage. It's such efficient football. We found ways to script people and design playbooks to get people open for guaranteed completions, yards after the catch, all the rest. But I did a study a couple of years ago on throw locations because I track every throw throughout the entire year. It's about 10,000 snaps per year and looking at throw locations and how those plays end up. And what I found was the most 
productive place to throw the football in a CFL game over an entire year, two year span, I think it was that I studied is actually between 15 to 25 yards down the field between the hash marks, attacking the middle of the field and throwing the ball vertically challenging defenses. It actually ends up rewarding you more than playing the extremely safe, flat, flat screen, flat, flat screen kind of game. So the reason that I bring that up is I, I took that information of, okay, here's the highest value of, throw that we have in the CFL. Now let me look at where we're throwing the ball in 2021. And what I found was the average depth of target for every single quarterback across the league, with the exception of Vernon Adams Jr., because he's a crazy man who wants to throw the ball everywhere that he possibly can on the field, just like Harry Jones when he was playing. Every quarterback is throwing the ball shorter and significantly shorter. They're not challenging the defenses. We're not throwing vertically as often. And as a result, defenses are playing safer. Defenses are are not having to rush as many people. Defenses are dropping out and allowing everything to be completed in front of them. And then they're rallying and making the tackle. And so what you're seeing is this kind of ebb and flow, this push pull relationship of from the studying of the numbers I've done, they're not challenging defenses vertically in response. Defenses are not being threatened and they are becoming the attacking group. It's not the offense putting them on their heels right now. And that's resulting in less big plays offensively. That's resulting in defenses being able to, to jump routes more often because they know when and where the ball is coming out. And so you're starting to get this sense that it's going to take the offenses getting into enough of a rhythm that they can actually throw the ball vertically comfortably and consistently. Once that starts happening, I think the defense gets back on their heels. And once they get on their heels, we start to see more productivity. Once we see productivity, we see the scores start to go up. So it's a long-winded answer. It's more sciencey and mathy than I think I intended it to be when I started researching. But I, I came away with the fact that if you don't throw it vertically and challenge defenses, they are going to attack you. And if that happens, we get scores like we have over the first four weeks. I love how you put that. I talk a lot about the area 15 yards down the field and you your stats your research you know show that you can even go 15 plus mm -hmm. really make an impact and you mentioned ricky ray who did have a high completion percentage but i think the beauty of ricky was especially when he was in edmonton was yes he could dink and dunk you but then he could take a shot too with yeah. tucker or or hervey as as well as opposed to just always throwing shorts and I think yeah he would kill you with the yeah. corner routes like and i know that people know that right that's well known in cfl history but the important thing that ricky would do is to the wide side they would throw those flats endlessly get the corner to come down and the second they get the corner to bite he just throw a corner right in behind the corner so i think that's the thing that's missing right now is that for whatever reason you know maybe it's because of what i'm saying maybe it's something else the defense is just sitting back and saying, okay, go ahead, throw everything in front of us, and then we'll rally and make the tackle. And if we do that consistently enough, and it's honestly, even the best defenses, like Ottawa going into that game I called on Saturday, they're the number one team in the league when it comes to red zone defense, because when they get backed up, they're not giving up many points, right? They, same thing, they gave up a couple of field goals when BC was way down and deep inside the 15-yard line in that game. But... They're also the worst team in giving up net offense in Ottawa right now. now. They're giving up about 400 yards per game, and a lot of that's through the air. And so, again, that goes to the idea that they're allowing everything to happen in front of them. And if you were to have a Ricky Ray today doing that where he's taking the vertical shots, well, based on the way that teams are being played, it just it doesn't create a relationship where the defensive back goes into every play thinking, oh, God, I... Darrell Walker might run past me right now and get this home run shot. So he's not really worried about getting out of his back pedal quickly or flipping his hips or they're sitting on 
everything from what I'm seeing early in the year, Reed. And until that stops, again, this is going to be the trend of the season. Personally, I have to believe, whether it's because I'm an analyst or if it's because I'm a believer in offensive football, at some point in the next month, by the time that we hit the midway point of the season, if we hit week eight and the offenses are not comfortable enough yet to throw the ball vertically consistently throughout games, then I don't think it's going to change. But I have to believe that at some point in the next month, you're going to see these flashes of life where you go, oh, okay, yeah, now the defense is is a little bit scared because this quarterback's taking shots. And again, Montreal is the outlier in this. Like Vernon Adams Jr.'s depth of target right now on average is about 22 yards down the field. Matt Nichols on second and long is averaging four yards per target. Like he's basically flipping the ball backwards with his hand and shoveling it into the ground four yards away from himself. Whereas Vernon Adams Jr., first down, second down, you know, one yard to go, 15 yards to go. It doesn't matter. He's throwing the ball on average 22 yards down the field. So he's playing the game in just a completely different style right now, which honestly is making me appreciate Montreal, even if they're not getting the results on a lot of those throws. Yeah. I love how you explained that, Marshall. Hey, buddy, we're, we're going to have to do this again. I, I love the way you told the story of your university career and uh, really good <laughs> insight into what's happening or not happening offensively in the Canadian Football League. Hope you're doing great, man. Thanks a lot for checking in. Yeah, thank you, Reed. Look forward to uh, talking again soon. And uh, to everybody in Hamilton that I used to be your bartender at Boston Pizza, I apologize. Okay, <laughs> that's cool, Marshall. Uh, do we have any listeners in Hamilton? I don't know. You can listen online. Uh, that was great. Marshall Ferguson, CFL.ca. He's the creator and host of the CF Perspective Podcast. That's the Canadian Football Perspective Podcast. He has a great perspective as a former youth sports quarterback. He told you about tracking thousands of passes and figuring out where Canadian football teams are best to attack with the pass. And he said 15 to 25 yards down the field. That's what we need more in the CFL. It's not about the long bombs. It's not about the 40-yard passes. Yes, those are exciting but you need those chunks of yardage, 15 to 25 yards. And he said it, defenses are dictating. Defenses are dictating how the game is played. They're playing on the front foot. The offenses are on the back heel. And that's a big reason why scores are down. United States is on a power play with four and a half minutes left in the third period. It's 2-2 Canada-US for women's gold. We'll have an update when we get back. killed it off a minute 50 to go in the third overtime looming as we like to say free canned ham with every overtime for all the listeners tonight that's going to be a lot of canned hams uh well 14 of them anyway minute 40 time's running here canada and the u.s 2-2 at the gold medal game in the women's world hockey championship uh probably more power plays than most people would prefer (laughs) in the third period of this game well yeah, three for the United States, one for Canada. The the whistle was not put away, I suppose. The goal scores in this game, Alex Carpenter had two in the first period for the States, and then Brianne Jenner on the power play for Canada in the second period, and then about two and a half minutes later, Jamie Lee Rattray scored for Canada at 6.42 of the second period. Nothing since. So these two old rivals 
with now a minute to go in the third period, uh, likely headed for overtime again. I'll just kind of keep talking about the game as we go into the final minute of the show in case something does happen. This was a, a fun one tonight. We hit on a variety of topics with Dylan Gunther, Ian Herbers, Joaquin Gage, Blake Dermott, and Marshall Ferguson. We'll have to have Marshall on the show again. He had a really cool perspective, a lot of good information as well. Tomorrow... Like I said, we will have uh, two members of the Victoria Cougars team from the 1980s that uh, had a 72-game season with only five wins. Mooner and I got into that randomly on the show last week, and we said, let's find guys who are on that team and have them tell the story. So that's what we're going to do. Gene Principe, one of my all-time favorites, scheduled to join us as well. Dave Campbell's the producer of Inside Sports. Kellen Kennedy is your studio producer. 12.9 seconds left in regulation time. Clock is stopped. Canada, United States tied at two. Uh, if you're not home or near TV, get home or get near TV so you can watch overtime. My name's Reed. Thanks for listening. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.